Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 21. That's our passage today. Today we draw to a conclusion our series, Always Near. The fact that we're never alone, Jesus is always near us. John chapter 21, here's the key concept. Jesus will not give up on you. Do not give up on yourself. John chapter 21. While you're finding that, I'll tell you a story that took place at a men's retreat. It was the evening session of the men's retreat, and the men had gone through uh, a few of the normal praise choruses accompanied by a guitarist, and the time had come for when in the program it called for testimony time. And so the man who was leading the sessions asked if there were anyone, anyone with a testimony, something they wanted to share about what God was doing in their life, an answer to prayer, something along those lines. And the first man to stand up gave a testimony that shocked the group that was assembled. He stood up and he said this, I have been a member of the church here for a while, a long while, but on any given day, I am capable of being a jerk with my wife and my family. I am terminally insecure to the point that it causes me to overcompensate with arrogance and pride. At times, people irritate me so much that I hide from them. I often say things that I shouldn't say. I make promises that I shouldn't make. I know I can't keep them, but making them makes me look good. My walk with Christ is a stumbling, bumbling attempt to follow Him. Some days my faith is strong. Other days I am weak and pathetic. I've been a Christian for 45 years. I know all the vocabulary of the faith. Often in Sunday school, people direct their questions to me. But I am flawed and I am clumsy, unstable, failure in my following of Jesus. And with that, he sat down. It's fair to say that no one expected a testimony like that. But that man who was admitting his bumbling and stumbling walk of faith probably felt a lot like what Peter feels like in our passage today in John chapter 21, a lot like a failure. What do you say to a person who feels like that? More importantly, what would Jesus say to a person who feels like that? Today we find out. Jesus' message to Peter and to us through our passage here is going to say this, your failures are not fatal. You can bring them to Jesus and you will find in Him love and acceptance. He's near enough to give you a second chance. So let's read it. John chapter 21, the first three verses to begin with, says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, this scene before us takes place after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, John is clear in telling us that this is actually the third time that Jesus appears to uh, the apostles after His resurrection. And they evidently had previously established a gathering point in Galilee where they would meet Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, here called the Sea of Tiberias. But as Peter waited, 
We sense that there's an anxiety that he's feeling, a little bit of a, a worry that is overshadowing him because he knows what Jesus knows. Peter's performance had been poor prior to the crucifixion, what Brandon pointed out to us. He had denied the Savior three times in the aftermath of Jesus' arrest. With the increasing intensity in those denials to the point of cursing, and when questioned whether he was a follower of Jesus, Peter had gotten scared. He refused to be associated with his Lord. The Gospel of John records it this way. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of the disciple, his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not one of the high priest's servants. A relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off challenged him, Didn't I see you in the olive grove with him? Peter denied it. At that moment, the rooster began to crow. The truth is, you see, they were afraid. They were all afraid. They fled. They all fled after the arrest. They had deserted Jesus for that period of time. But for Peter, this failure, this three times repeated failure seemed fatal. It seemed to him that he couldn't possibly recover from that. And as agreed upon, they're now waiting for the Lord in Galilee. These are all fishermen, or at least most of them. And they're waiting in that familiar territory. And they're waiting, doing not much of anything, and Peter comes up with an idea of, let's go fishing. See, in the waiting times and the wondering times, Peter was getting a little bit anxious. He, he needed to do something, and something familiar and something safe, and fishing was familiar. Fishing was safe. It was simple. You didn't have to think about it much. You throw the net in, you let it drift for a while, pull it out and see if there's any fish. Do it again and again. And that's what they did. And as they were doing that throughout the course of the night, they were probably all thinking the same thing. Where's Jesus? When will He come? And Jesus does come. And His nearness makes a statement. And the statement is this, your failures do not surprise Jesus, but He loves you anyway. In Peter's mind, he was wondering what Jesus would say. But Peter's failure and Peter's anxiety, even Peter's worry, was not a surprise to Jesus. He still loved him, just like he still loves you, even when you fail. No matter how you have failed, what sin you have allowed in your, allowed in your life, Jesus loves you. The Savior who died for you wants to walk close to you. He wants to show you His love. You see, He understands where that sin comes from. He understands and visualizes the battle that we're in, that the failures come from the pressure of a spiritual attack that we all feel from time to time. Because back in the scene of that Last Supper, Jesus had said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go, go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus sees that failure before it comes. 
He knows that failure. He knows where it comes from, the pressure of Satan, and he sees that in our lives as well. Do not think that we can be self-controlled enough, determined enough, strong enough in our own will, willfulness to, to avoid failure. We are in a spiritual battle, and the, in the struggle, it's not about being self-controlled. It's about being controlled by God and finding strength in Him. Because Satan will try to sift us. Jesus says, Satan will try to sift you, to drag you away, to separate you out from the true path. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may be strong, that your faith not fail. Jesus is expressing his greatest hope for, for Peter and his greatest hope for us as well. Stand strong. But Peter is weak. He's weak, just like us. And in the pressure of the moment, as it looked like the whole mission has come crumbling down, he fails, but Jesus draws near to Peter. This was no surprise, Peter. I saw that it would happen, and I'm here to help you. Jesus cares about our relationship with him, so he comes near. Let's read on uh, in chapter 21. Early in the morning, Jesus stood uh, on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. It's fish for breakfast today. They are discouraged after a long night of no results. And they hear this guy on the shore yelling. At first, they don't know who he is, but, but they say, go ahead. He says, go ahead and throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they think to themselves, well, maybe he saw something. You know, maybe he knows something we don't know. And they throw the net in on the other side, and it's full of fish. And all of a sudden, John, the author, the, the writer here, John says to himself, this is deja vu all over again. We have been through this because way back in the beginning of their ministry with Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded that this exact thing happened. And he knows that's the Lord. That's the Lord come to us. And he mentions it to Peter. And Peter, true to his impulsive form, leaps out of the boat and swims to shore. Do you see the details here? I mean, these details tell us something about Peter's state of mind. What does he do? He puts on his coat and jumps overboard. Not taking off the coat and jumping overboard. That's, what, that's funny. Put on your coat and jump overboard. And then you have to remember, the boat's going to shore anyway. They have a, a net full of fish, and they all now know that that's Jesus. They all want to see Jesus. The boat is going to shore, but Peter can't wait. Peter does not want to depend on the, the speed of those who are rowing the boat. Peter wants to get there first, even if he gets there wet. And so he puts on his coat, jumps in the water, and swims to the shore. I want to see Jesus first. And what I want you to understand in those, those little glimpse of the details is Peter is overdoing. 
Peter is overcompensating. Maybe he's trying to impress, but he's acting like a man who's not comfortable with himself, not comfortable to, to, to wait any longer to kind of find out how this is going to go. And so they come to shore, and they have that fish breakfast, and pick up the reading in verse 15, and it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, there's some interesting details about this exchange. And the first little detail that we wouldn't really pick up on uh, ordinarily is in, in verse 9 when it uh, John tells us this takes place around a charcoal fire. And what those who work in the Greek language notice for us is that the word that is used here for charcoal fire is only used this, this verse and one other place in all the New Testament. And that one other place in the entire New Testament where that word shows up is the charcoal fire in, in chapter 18 around which Peter sat when he denied Jesus. In other words, John is deliberately trying to, to connect these two events to what Jesus is saying sitting around this fire. He's, he's deliberately setting up a situation where Peter's failings, Peter's denials will be undone, will be reversed, and then he'll be invited to return to that sweet fellowship that they once had. It seems to me as I read this passage that Peter's denials by this time had become public knowledge. And Jesus takes the opportunity sitting around that fire with the other apostles there to initiate this reinstatement. But he's focusing first here on a core issue for Peter, and that is humility. Because the way he asks the question the first time is, Peter, do you love me more than these? The sense is this, do you think you love me more than these men love me? Do you think that you're better than these men? Do you think that you're more holy, more uh, strong in the faith than these men? And Jesus emphasizes that to Peter with those men sitting there because there was a moment previous to this where Peter allowed his pride to show. It's the same conversation where Jesus tells Peter that uh, he understands that he's going to deny him three times. But in the Gospel of Mark, when Mark recalls that situation, he's Peter, he has Peter saying, even if all fall away, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Mark shows us those words. But the interesting thing here is that we believe that the Gospel of Mark, the source for that information is Peter himself. But in this moment, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had to get to the point where Peter would deal with the pride and would admit things like that because he was comparing himself to the other apostles in that moment. He's saying, these guys might not have the right stuff, but I have the right stuff. I am more committed. I am better. 
I am able, even if they're not able. Peter is caught up in comparisons. He's caught up in competitions, even in the things of the Spirit. He wants to be first. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of that, and he says, Do you still think that you love me more than these men do? It's time to understand, Peter, that true loving service for Jesus starts with humility, not pride. There must have been utter silence around that campfire as this conversation was beginning. And Peter's response, almost like he doesn't know what to say, Lord, you know that I love you. And that response was not said in the voice of the proud, but that response came with the downcast eye of one who has been found out, one who has been exposed in the midst of the painful process of restitution and reinstatement. He has this conversation with Jesus. And probably, interestingly enough, they're, they're, they're almost certainly speaking Aramaic as they have this conversation. That was the common language. But John, as he writes this story down for us, he brings that Aramaic conversation into Greek. And now we have it into English. But as John wrote the Greek, John uses some very spe uh, specific Greek words in this conversation. John says that Jesus says, do you love me, using the word he translated into Greek as agape, which is self-sacrificial love, God-like love. Do you love me self-sacrificially, Peter? And John has Peter respond with the word phileo, God, Jesus I have tremendous affection for you. That would, have been, that would have been the difference. Do you love me self-sacrificially? Jesus, I love you like a brother. Phileo is the word that we use to get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So there's a different kind of response from what's being asked. The difference, agape means self-sacrifice. Peter doesn't rise to that level. He doesn't speak of himself to that level. He can't picture himself on that level anymore because of his failure. Do you agape me? I phileo you. The comparison, and the comparison to the others, Peter doesn't even address it, doesn't even come up. He doesn't answer it. But Jesus says, then, feed my lambs. Jesus asked the question again in verse 16, do you truly love me? Once again, do you truly self-sacrificially love me? Let's leave the others out of the picture. I'm not going to ask that question again. I'm asking just you, you and me, do you really with your, all your heart, do you love me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, I have affection for you. You know that. I love you like a brother. And Jesus' command is once again, take care of my sheep. The third time, verse 17, Jesus asks him, do you love me? But what he's really asking is, do you really have affection for me? Do you really love me like a brother? In other words, he brings the question down a notch. He brings the question to Peter's word. Do you really love me like a brother? And with that, with that repeated question, question a third time, and now the third time on a little different level, a little different question, Peter is hurt. His feelings are hurt, and he pulls away from any attempt at self-explanation for any excuse-making. None of that is there anymore. And he simply says, Lord, you see, you see how much I love you. You see how much I love you. You know that I love you, for you see all things. 
And Jesus says simply, feed my sheep. It's an interesting conversation. Jesus is kind of working Peter over here. He's kind of, he's working on Peter to come to first that humble, realistic view of himself and at the same time to be able in front of the other apostles to declare his love, to be reinstated three times. The question is asked, one for each time of the denial. Jesus, piece by piece, dismantles the wall of failure that Peter had built around himself. Piece by piece, he reinstates Peter by asking him to be a part of the mission once again. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And Jesus, in this near moment, is ready to forgive. And he does forgive. He doesn't give up on Peter. And he says to Peter, don't give up on yourself. You still have a job to do. And he works for Peter, taking his mind off of the failure that was haunting him and bringing him right down to bedrock. Bedrock foundation of Peter's life was simple. You do indeed love Jesus, and a response of loving Jesus is serving Him and living out your calling. Tend to others. Feed my sheep. And he demonstrates love. John 14, Jesus, John chapter 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. This is what I want you to do, Peter. Just obey my teaching. Live out your calling, and as you do, you demonstrate you do love me. This is the same thing that Jesus is asking of us. Do you love me? If so, live out your calling. Show me by living out your calling. You're called to give Him glory. You're called to serve Him in some way, a way that you're designed for. Do it humbly. Do it faithfully. But do it because Jesus is asking for love in action. And he's reminding us that new beginnings are possible. Second chances are offered. And by the way, so are third and fourth chances. Even after you blow it. But don't fake it. Don't try to bluff it. Remember that Jesus has witnessed everything we've ever done. And he still loves us through and through. So follow humbly. Follow honestly. Follow without comparison to others. Learn humility and live out your calling. And here's what I want you to see. Peter learned the lesson. Peter learns this lesson. Later on in his life, he dictates the, uh, the de details of the gospel to Mark, and he demonstrates that he had demonstrated that pride, and he had puffed up spirit, but he knows that that's not the way to live. And in his own book, 1 Peter chapter 5, he says this, "'Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand.'" that He may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on Him. He cares for you. Peter learned that here by the side of the Sea of Galilee. He cares for you. Your failures are not fatal. Jesus is near enough to give us second chances, and He'll do it. Amen.